Welcome to the Natural Running Network. My name is Richard Diaz, and what I hope to do is introduce you to some amazing athletes and luminaries from the sports science community, and what has come to be expected, I'll provide some highly opinionated rants on all aspects of endurance sports and my current favorite, obstacle course racing. But before I get started, I want to give a shout out to Human Octane. If you're the kind of person who pushes the limit, then you've got to check out Human Octane Apparel. Training and racing apparel designed by OCR athletes, and these guys just get it. Everything they make dries lightning fast, has zippered pockets, is abrasion resistant in high contact areas without bulky padding. I've gotten to know these guys, and trust me, they're going to out-innovate the competition when it comes to OCR gear. Check them out at humanoctane.com. Now sit tight, grab a cup of coffee, and let's do this. Alrighty then, I've got my wingman, Sean Kahn is with us, and Sean, doing the diligence that he does for our show, sought out Allison Ty, our Canadian contingent from the obstacle course racing world. Allison, please say hello to our audience, Sean. You too. Hey there, thanks for having me on. Happy OCR World Championships Weeks, everybody. Yeah, yeah, Allison. I it's like by uh, by decree, I have to allow a Canadian on the show every now and then. Yeah, there's definitely a few of us out there. I think just even to uh, to represent, you have to have a Canadian on every once in a while. Well, that's interesting you say that because it seems like you guys are kind of owning this whole obstacle course racing thing. Yeah, it certainly doesn't help uh, or doesn't hurt at all to have uh, Ryan Atkins and Lindsay Webster always at the helm of the cart, but uh, it does seem like there's a lot of interest for sure from Canada and a lot of people that um, wind up on the podium from Canada, particularly in like the uh, cold, miserable races. I think we, we do pretty well. <laughs> you major in cold and miserable. Right? Yeah, and yeah. Faye Stenning, another one. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah, Faye's done a great job, and matter of fact, Faye... She's had enough of it. She's going to move down to San Diego, I understand. And so I'm going to get a chance to do some work with her pretty soon. Nice. Yeah, she's an amazing runner and amazing athlete. She's, she's again, uh, another one of our Canadian heroes. And then Austin Azar. Yeah, absolutely. And he's just a, an overall super guy and amazing athlete at pretty much all distances. So. Yep. Austin and I have had the great fortune of sitting back and eating salmon and drinking wine into the wee hours uh, leading up to... OCR World Championships last year. Wow. You'd be a good guy to hang out with, I think, on the course or off. Just, uh, anytime. We've spent some uh, some time together, him and I, after races, we drove around L.A. trying to look for a community, shower to, or community center to shower off after the uh, toughest events in L.A. and just had a hilariously good time that I don't think I would have had with uh, almost anybody else on earth. Yeah, he's a good, he's a good guy, no doubt about it. Yeah. All right, so you had said before the show that you're planning on going to OCR World Championships and planning on doing all three events, correct? That's correct. How are you feeling about it? Um, pretty good. You know, like, for me, the um, the championship weekend here is, is more just about having fun. Like, I don't consider myself a master at any one of those distances, especially the 3K. And uh, I always go in with a little bit of um, hesitation to the team races just because I've always done individual sports. So the fact that uh, I'm kind of, you know, pushing it for the team is, uh, is a little anxiety provoking, but uh, that's also what makes it fun, right, is to be in that team. So for me, it's just like full on um, party mode this weekend, just kind of immerse myself in the community and just enjoy what this sport is about. And the obstacles, of course, are, you know, top-notch and really challenging. So I'm just, yeah, really excited for this one. I think it's just going to be a great all-around weekend. Who do you like for the win? Oh, Lindsay. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a little bit of Canadian bias, this really. At any distance, I will always give you the same answer. But, I mean, both of them are just such masters at all distance. And, I mean, I think... The field is so stacked these days, and it's so deep um, that I I wouldn't bet my life savings on them taking the taking the win. But 
you know, I always, uh, I'm always rooting for them just because they're fantastic people and just phenomenal athletes at all distance. And yeah, they're Canadian. So how could I? <laughs> well, I hate to burst your bubble, but I really think that uh, Hunter is going to have to break a leg not to win the 3K. Yeah, yeah. He's one of those, again, that he's just amazing at all distances, and he's just so fit across the board that, yeah, it's going to be hard to hold that guy down, especially over the 3K course. It's it's going to definitely be a showdown between him and Ryan, if nothing else. I expect he'll podium in the 15K, but I really do believe he'll win that 3K hands down. I don't disagree with you, for sure. And, again, another great guy you always like to see top the podium anyway, so... Um, he's just going to go out there and have fun and kick it up hard, and it's just going to be a great race to watch unfold. Well, if you knew me better, if I am thinking it, I'm saying it. So even though I have a relationship with him and I've worked with him for the past couple of years, I didn't like him for Tahoe. I figured he'd end up right about where he did. And quite frankly, I think for him to be fifth place in that race on that course was all he can do. He's just too big a guy for that distance. Yeah, and I think, I mean, he's from Malibu, right? So that's a big jump in terms of going into the altitude. So, you know, he's got some uh, some definite challenges there in terms of the course. So, you know, you always know Hunter's going to go and throw down his 100%. And that's, um, unless something happens, you know, that, uh, like a rule or something like that, he's going to just throw down as hard as he can and he's going to be in the spot that he earned kind of thing, right? It just, it's not a course that particularly favors him. I think you're right. So clearly the Tough Mudder World Championships is what's your A game for this season, probably for last as well. Oh, yeah, every year. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's really nice that they had the toughest series this year because I feel like for a lot of the, um, the athletes that do the tough, the toughest mudder, it's like the one thing we have all year. And it, it makes it really special, but at the same time, everything else is just a little bit filler, but... There were some definite like stepping stones in terms of having that, like not only just as direct training, but just that kind of feel of stepping stone leading up to World's Toughest this year. So I feel like the build for it has just been phenomenal. And again, the field is as stacked as it ever has been. And then some, we have all the previous winners, I think, on the women's side that are coming out. And uh, the individual race obviously is is the focus of this year. So it's, uh, yeah, it's just going to be, I think, probably the best year yet. And uh the last year at uh, the venue in Las Vegas, I think, is going to be really special because a lot of people have, you know, some deep connections, having some, like, hard-fought battles in the desert there that it's just going to it's going to be special for a lot of people, and it's going to be, you know, just uh, next level in terms of the excitement of this year. So I'm just pumped. Cool. Now, I asked uh, Steph Bishop, and uh, I, like, I like Steph a lot. She's tough as nails. Yes, she is. And we did we did an interview with her a few weeks back, and I asked her who she felt was going to give her the most amount of competition, and your name come up first. Steph is a hero for a lot of us, and I can't uh, I can't think of anybody else that is tougher. I mean, some of the stuff that that woman has overcome, and uh, just you know, she's got a really positive outlook, and and she's really like you know, she's just a happy-go-lucky person, really optimistic. But she is under that, like, you know, sweet, bubbly exterior, just a beast and an animal. And she's uh, she's going to go after it. And then she's been focusing all of her training on it this year. So just watching her crush the course is going to be a pretty phenomenal experience, I think. How many miles do you plan on getting? I know you got a number. Is it like on your refrigerator? <laughs> no. You know, I mean, I think we're all going for 100 this year. To be, um, to be honest, I think... Uh, that's the number that most of the women dream of when they go to bed at night and wake up in the morning. But at the same time, it just depends what the course delivers and what the weather's like. And there's just so many factors. So I feel like a hundred would be like my A goal and that would just be incredible and amazing. But, um, if you know, that comes up short, it's the way that it is. And it's just kind of, uh, the sport that we live and love. And I'm just going to go out there and try my best and, kind of see what that delivers on the day but 100 is a really good number and those orange jerseys are pretty amazing well like i told her that if you want to do 100 you got to say 110 i know yeah i heard that on the podcast (laughs) oh you heard it then huh it's true yeah yeah Yeah. no i that actually kind of rang to me because i was like yeah if you 
if you just barely shoot for that goal, you're you're just going to skim under it every time, right? You see those people that shoot for the 259-59 marathon, and they're constantly 301, you know, in five seconds or three hours and two seconds exactly, right? So if they're shooting for 255, maybe they would bring it under. So maybe 105 is a better number for me to me to think of. And then if I hit 100, then, then fantastic. Have you thought about teaming and just seeing if you can, you know, as a team, bust that 100 and take home some big money? No, I, with the team thing, I it's just not my bag. Like, I just feel like so bad. If I twisted my ankle or I don't know, like so much stuff can come up and I, my background has always been an individual sport and um, not that I'm not a team player, I just would feel like awful if I let other people down and I, I think that amount of stress would be um, would be a little much. So I love going on team team like challenges and stuff like that, um, going out and doing the Tough Mudder as part of a team or something like that, but um, only when it's not competitive, you know, as soon as you add that element of competition to a team event for me it's just that's where the stress begins so i rather if i'm going to do something like this just go out there individually but you know feel like i'm part of like a greater team just to get everybody across the finish line and to reach their goals cool but uh yeah team race maybe someday but right now i'd just be too terrified to let the team down allison what's your team for the ocr world championships yeah, that, <laughs> that was one of those where I was like, I don't know, and they uh, they finally convinced me that if I fall on my face, it's okay. Um, so it's a couple of girls from the um, the Spartan Team Canada, so we have like basically the Canadian pro team, uh, which we call Spartan Team Canada, so Cynthia and April, and I'm doing the speed component. So, and I did it last year, and it was really fun, it was like pouring rain, and we were just like rocketing down the mountain and slipping all over the place, so. Um, but yeah, last year I was on a team... Uh, with a couple guys that were not as like fiercely competitive and so it just ended up being really fun and I you know you have that like pressure of like I got to get through this obstacle and and race clean so that my teammates I can pass the the torch to my teammates but it wasn't you know it wasn't as stressful so but the the girls that I'm going with I really like and we've been racing together all year and for some time and you know we're really supportive of one another so we're just looking at more of like a celebration of what the season has been to us and our support of each other. So it's going to be, it's going to be a great day. Allison, I see that you have a history in triathlon. Yeah, I did. I went very intensively for uh, one year. So basically I started running when I went back to college and had been like previously not very athletic and uh, just, you know, the same, the same old story where you're just trying to lose weight and, um, just maintain your fitness going into college. And then that brought me to doing the Ironman triathlon in Australia. A friend of mine was going down. And so I decided to join along, even though I had, like, I had not ridden a bike since I was like 12. And uh, I did synchronized swimming and uh, quite a bit of swimming when I was young. But again, it was like 10 years before this. So it was kind of like, you know, relearning how to ride a bike and swim properly. So it was a big uphill battle, but I kind of quickly learned that endurance sport was my thing and that I could just kind of grind it out all day. I wasn't particularly fast as a swimmer or a cyclist, but even though, you know, like I'd get off the bike after riding 180 kilometers, my legs would still feel pretty good. Like they can, they can take a beating and keep running. So that's kind of, I had done some ultra marathon and stuff before that, but that's kind of when I really cemented my love for like the endurance world of sports so you went from zero to iron man <laughs> yeah pretty much holy cow yeah the first thing i did was a 10 no eight kilometer race which is five miles and um they play this uh beethoven serenade and you try to beat it so i think i don't know like 55 minutes or something was my time the first thing that i did and then i went down to this canadian death race which is not like the spartan death race it's 125 kilometers through like this really rugged mountainous territory. And I went down with some friends that were doing it as a relay and I decided that I wanted to do it too. So they of course asked me like, which leg do you want to do? Because they're all pretty long for somebody that can only run like five miles. And so um, seeing this guy that won the race eating these like, you know, uh, trail mixes and just being like really calm and relaxed and just looked happy and like he was just on this like amazing adventure. So I decided I was going to do the whole thing. 
And they just thought that was hilarious, right? Like you can't train for one year and do this ultra marathon. Um, but I did, and I just absolutely loved it and uh, kind of got hooked into that experience. And then, you know, when it came to triathlon, I was like, I'm not exactly going to do a sprint distance race um, because that's not really where my strengths lie. So I may as well go into this, into this Ironman thing and jump two feet. And I did Ironman Australia for my first race, um, six months training leading up to it, and quite intensive training. Um, and then did that, came fourth in my age in, in my age group by like a matter of minutes, and I had blown a tire, and I you know was still at the point where I was learning how to like fix your tube when you flat out. Um, so of course that just wasn't going to be enough. So I came back to Canada and then trained up to do this Ironman Canada, did that, and then came second in my age group. And then that's when you probably heard about this, I'm sure, from my backstory somewhere, but that's right. when uh, one week after that, I ended up in that big cycling accident. Yeah, that, that must have been a nightmare. So, well, clearly it was a nightmare, and you recovered from it, which is amazing. I don't know how you pulled that off. Now, how do you feel about getting on the bike now? I mean, are you a little shy of it? Um, you know, it's kind of funny. I'm much better now, but um, I don't cycle outside of the city. And uh, in Vancouver, where I'm from, we have like dedicated bike routes that are like they have cemented meridians and, and all that and uh, separated streets and stuff. So I'm not good with riding in traffic, but I'm totally fine riding on a bike route. I don't even think about it um, unless a car comes too close to me or something like that. And it just kind of sets off this like panic button. But it did take a long time. My husband, God bless him, is so patient. And um, I would just ride behind him on his bike, and I would just stare at his wheel and sing. Um, and that, uh, we went and ended up cycling after the accident. So the accident happened in 2006, and in 2010, we went, um, oh, sorry, 2008, we went to South America and just cycled around. And uh, so, you know, there's some parts, like, people would be a lot more careful around cyclists and they move to the other side of the road. But I mean, there's some like major cities, especially like Lima or whatever, where they're like cutting you off and driving, like almost hitting you over with their rear mirrors and stuff. So it definitely was like a get over it by fire. And uh, he was just super patient. You know, sometimes I just have to sit on the side of the road for half an hour and take some deep breaths before I get back on. And then I'd only, you know, be able to get on and ride another mile before I need another break. But um, my husband was kind of very instrumental in terms of getting me over that hump and getting comfortable again. And then, you know, you just keep doing it and then eventually you just get desensitized again. And you also develop these ways of, um, overcoming that fear. And I think that also has played in, you know, with obstacle course racing in terms of that, like, you know, um, integrative role in that being able to overcome fear has helped me in obstacle course racing and obstacle course racing has exposed me to a lot of things that I'm terrified of. And I've had to figure out ways to become of that or to get over that. And so it just, um, you know, helps you to be a better, a human being that's able to overcome the fears that come up. So it's pretty, pretty fantastic and pretty phenomenal. You think you're going to go back and do any tries? No, you know, I did try to go back into triathlon almost right away, but um, I, broke my radial nerve oh. in one of my arms and I couldn't, I had what that's called wrist, wrist drop for like yeah. a year and a half. And so my, my hand just like flopped down. And so we tried all these braces and stuff to try to get it like in to enter the walk. Cause I go to stroke with my hand and I break myself and go backwards. <laughs> so I was like, I throwing on the e-brake when I was swimming and it was just driving me nuts. Oh, so man. I ended up not, um, not continuing with triathlon just because the swimming was getting frustrating. And now I'm at that point where I could swim and it would be fine, but I'm just, you know, too, uh, too immersed in the world of obstacle course racing now to look back on that and having way too much fun. I really liked triathlon because it was, it was different than running, right? Like you were done your swim and then you could look for the bike and then it was kind of like, a lot of the things that I love about obstacle course racing I found in triathlon. But now that I found obstacle course racing, I'm kind of like, no, no, this is perfect. And so I'm not sure that I would go back to triathlon, but maybe one day. Who knows, yeah. right? How, how old are you, Allison? I'm 35. Oh, you're young. Oh, I don't know about that. Come on. <laughs> come on. I got clothes older than you. Oh, oh nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the concept of... Uh, Going back to triathlon, I mean, 35 years old for a female, that you're kind of like in it right now. That's that's like a like a golden era for endurance sports athletes, I think, for women. 
Yeah, um, it definitely is. I think from what I hear, it's like, you know, it takes like seven to 10 years to build your base. And so I think my fitness right now is just the, um, the culmination of years of like consistent training. And I think that's why being in your like mid to late thirties is the golden years of endurance athletics is just because you've built this huge base and been super consistent, hopefully in your training up to this point. And so now you're starting to reap the, the rewards before that uh, roller coaster starts shooting down. So yeah, the youngsters, the youngsters don't have the tenacity to go along. I think you build a tenacity as you age where you're, you're more enduring mentally, where it's almost with the young guys, it's almost like um, they just can't stay focused long enough to, to bear down for that length of time. They got to get it over with. I, I don't know. That makes plenty of sense. Whenever I'm running with Faye, um, when I could keep up with Faye years ago, uh, I was always surprised because she is like, I don't know if you've ever seen this woman race, speaking of Faye, but she is so tough and so hungry and just so fierce. And I just, I feel like I don't have that in me anymore. I'd rather just jog all day, you know, and put up with some like mild discomfort. But the youngins, it's like they run full on into the flames and, you know, just keep pushing until they get through it. It's a different, a different style of tenacity. For sure. Yeah, I like Faye a lot. She's been to see me here, and we've done some work together. And uh, one of the things I liked about her is she's got a tremendous amount of grit. She really, really enjoys the suck. Yeah, she loves it. I remember one time we got, um, I think it was the red, one of the Red Deer races. We got to the end, and we were both holding the spear at the same time at the finish line. And I was like, oh, no, this is the worst possible outcome. And I look over at her, and she's like, this is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what? But she just loves that competition and that fierceness. And she's just, I've never met a person that has more grit than that, uh, that girl right there. Yeah. Oh, man. So uh, a couple other things. Now, I... Uh, I, I come to find that you, you're part owner, or I, I believe you're part owner in an OCR-type gym. Is that what's going on? Yeah, so I have a partner that's really into the short uh, Ninja Warrior style stuff. He uh, used to do MMA fighting, and he kind of got bored with the regular stuff at the gym. I mean, he's doing, like, one-arm handstand push-ups and, like, just crazy calisthenics on the bar and things. And so he wanted to open up an obstacle gym, and he wanted to kind of pair up with somebody who training groups for people that are training for like Spartan Tough Mudder or whatever in the area. So we built up a group and uh, a fair-sized group, really good community. And people were looking for somewhere indoors to train. I was constantly getting emails. And so, you know, I finally went just like, let's do this. And we had built up enough people in the community that uh, we have a lot of just awesome people that are working in the gym and just making it happen. And so it really feels like it's like a shared dream of the community. And it's just been really, really awesome to be a part of and it makes for a really good place to train especially when it's raining <laughs> indoors is it mostly ocr folks uh, allison or are you trying to get almost just a, a good blend of people just interested in in that type of sport yeah we have a fairly good blend so we have some people that um kind of got really obsessed with the crossfit thing and then found this and uh have just kind of jumped ship just in terms of wanting to switch up their training to something a little more body weight and um, so we have a we have a bunch of people that have come over from that. We even just have like moms and baby classes and uh, classes where like they'll bring their. We have this like little tiny rig that Putnam Rig made for like preschoolers, so three and under, one to three, and so they can like climb around and swing around like a ninja. And their moms or dads can go work out at the same time. So we're really because I have the kids, um, really family focused. I found it was really hard when my kids. Um, we're small to get a workout in because you're like sitting there at the class, like staring at them. And then it's like, where in the day? So you may as well just like for us, go to the gym and everybody works out at the same time and everybody kind of works out together. And so that was a, a lot of our vision too, is just making it really family friendly. And so that it encourages everybody in the family to work out. And I, my personal belief is that parents should be mentors to their children in terms of fitness, wherever possible. So you know, we have these like family classes where you'll do like burpees and jump over stuff together. And so it's a lot of things that like kids really connect with and really enjoy, but it's also a really hard workout for the adults. And then you, you get that mentorship throughout the family and the whole family becomes fit and active and enjoying it. Um, and so that's been a huge spin off of the gym. And surprisingly, like 
most of our clientele at this point are kids, just the kids that have been obsessed with the show. And, uh, you know, it, it's interesting, too, because you see a lot of kids that have, like, autism or a lot of girls that were previously really interested in, like, Disney princess and princess stuff and inactive stuff. And it's it's interesting to me to see that those kids that previously didn't connect with anything active are now doing these really high-level physical literacy skills because they have this show that inspires them and then they come to the gym and they just get to work. And it's pretty cool to see that kids that may not have been active are now given that platform. Wow. And, and do you, you're doing some running coaching too? Yeah. So I just, we've, um, for years now before my first daughter was born, uh, coached at a local running store. So, you know, it's just, we meet three times a week, do a long run and then a couple quality sessions during the week. And, uh, that's been a great group and a really good like spinoff for my training. So some of the guys are faster than me. Um, and it's great cause I can just like nestle in behind them and pace off of them. So it's, yeah, it's been really helpful. I think too, in terms of my just working on my, my running speed and endurance and stuff like that, just to have such a good group of guys to train with. Cool. Very cool. Yeah. Wow. Um, so that's kind of nice. You know, you're getting a chance to uh, make a living at what you enjoy, right? Yeah, it's funny, like with both my husband and myself, um, sometimes it's a bit hectic, right? Because we're, we seem to be just like piecing all these passion projects together and you know with the racing and the kids and so sometimes it's crazy and it's hectic and um we kind of have to really build in the routine to that but it's also like it's just more like we never work right and it's just all what we're doing things because we love them and our lifestyle and when you when you pare it down even if you are too busy there's absolutely nothing you've removed from your plate um so it does take some juggling but it's i think it's a really um a really great style of living for me just to kind of keep doing things that I love and keep throwing my energy there. And it's worked out so far. So yeah, <laughs> keep going. yeah, it's amazing. I, you know, someone told me once upon a time, find the thing you love that you would do for free and then make that your occupation. And that's yeah, what we've always done. And it's, uh, it's definitely worked out for us. I just can't even imagine doing a day job. I know we're my partner in the gym, the, the D the Ninja Warrior guy, we were at this, um, trade show and it was really quiet and we were looking at our watch like every five minutes being like oh god is it three is it three can we pack up yet and it was like as a experience we we're so both of us so far removed from as like entrepreneurs and doing constantly being busy right like I can't remember the last time I've looked down at my watch and thought oh how's this time gonna go by usually it's like oh no I only have three hours left and I have all this stuff to do I wish I had ten but so that, that role reversal in, sort, in terms of time was just, uh, yeah, I don't know if I could live my life like that anymore. I'm always just so busy and doing all this uh, cool stuff that I don't know if I could go back to your typical nine to five job where you're watching the clock to have the day end. Well, I, I'm completely unhirable. <laughs> <laughs> There's nobody going to hire me to work for them. You work on your own long enough. You don't maybe work as well with groups or under a hierarchy. Well, we're, what's really interesting about it is that I always, I'm kind of the guy with, I'm blowing the kazoo and I'm banging the cymbal between my knees and the drum between my elbows. And I'm always doing 55 things at the same time. And and my, my principal complaint is I, I wish I had five or six more of me. So I, yeah. so I can get all the things done that I need to get done. For example, completing the book that I've been trying to finish for the past year and so many other projects that I want to do that I just can't find the time to do them because I get pulled in so many different directions. But at the end of the day, I do exactly what I want to do when I want to do it and I enjoy everything I do. So I'm blessed in that respect. It just... I just can't get it all done. And I got people bitching at me all the time. Hey, when are you going to finish that book, man? I'm waiting for your book. I'm like, oh, man, I wish I could do it. Because to me, if I get that book out, it's, it's rocking chair money. And I, I'm really close to that rocking chair. Ugh. I don't know about that. <laughs> no, you do. You, trust me. When I, or about the time to do it, then, yeah, it just never gets done as much as you want it to get done. Well, you got to be, for me, I've got to be in a particular mindset to produce this work and right. it's got to be dedicated like i mean i can't say okay i'm going to set aside from 
four o'clock to six o'clock just to write because I got to have that mojo. I got to have, you know, I got to have that vibe going. And then once I'm in that zone, I can go all day and I can just rock it out. But then I get interrupted and then falling back into that mojo is not as easy. Is It's like uh, you see these movies, these science fiction movies where the black hole opens up and then you can go into the next, you know, whatever. I, 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 I got, I got to go, I got to go into that spot, you know, and then there's a timeline that we got to get out again. Right. You, Maybe you need like a tree house or something and you could go into your tree house and nobody could find you. I just about have one of those. Yeah. I, I just about see. And, and I really, it's funny you say that because I thought, okay, I have to get away from electronic devices, Yeah. you know, just get a pad and pencil, just old school go out in my backyard. I've got a, you know, I got a spot back there where I could just sit down and not be interrupted by anything and, and go to work. That never happens. It just, it just doesn't happen. Especially with everything that's going on at OCR right now. I mean, it's like every hour there's something new going on and, and just, it just glues you to the phone, glues you to whatever. And then you, Oh, what did I have to do? Oh, I forgot. You know? Well, I coach, I co as you know, I coach uh, a, a lot of athletes and it, my day starts, well, I, I'm, I'm up at five o'clock in the morning every day, seven days a week. And usually what ends up happening is I sit down with my cup of coffee and the little dingy sound comes off on my iPad. Ding, 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 ding. It's people wanting something. And then I set about trying to write those workouts, message back and forth with people. And then we have a group of people we train with six days a week. Uh, which I've done for years and years and years. And I got to get them rolling and I deal with their little bitch and moans about, oh, you know, I was going to get up this morning, but my alarm didn't go off and all that. And, and, you know, I got all that going on. And then so next thing you know, it's 10 o'clock. And then I've got the client load where people are coming. For, I had a fella come in yesterday. Nice fella. I'm sure he's going to be listening to this. So I'm going to give a shout out to, to Grant. Came in from Ohio. So here's a guy flies into Newport Beach, do a little bit of work, drives up to see me, which is about a two and a half, three hour drive. We spend about four hours together and then he's got to go back to catch a red eye at LAX. But that basically takes the balance of the day. And so I get these clients that come from all over the country, sometimes other parts of the world that come to see me and we do our little thing here. So it's Again, I'm blessed to be able to do it, but it's just it's just tough to organize all. And I don't even know why this got to be about me just now. But so, Allison, you're going to write a book? <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. I think I'm in the same boat as you. Just too much on the go. Well, and I'm, I imagine for for you that um, writing the book not only does it take this like tremendous time investment and focus, but it's also a lot of like emotional and intellectual investment, right? And if you're juggling all this. Um, stuff with clients like live and online and you're probably just you know low in that area as well so even if you could carve out the time and the focus um yeah you just have to set aside a certain amount of emotional investment and intellectual investment and that's that's really tough to do when you already have a you know super full plate like you do well what happens what happens to me i think is i don't know how to shut it down so for example the book would be about x and be done with it. I'm always about, but there's Y and there's Z and there's B and there's C. You know, there's all these elements that I'm trying to shove into the same place because to me, it seems like they're, they, they need to work together. But a guy that knows how to write a book would write a second book or a third book and a fourth book. And the various uh, segments would be very specific to a particular task where I don't know how to do that. And I wish I did because I, well, I'll share with you since you asked. <laughs> I'm writing this book on lactate tolerance training. And the sole focus of the book, which I think is a tremendous topic, is to discuss how you overcome with this ensuing production of lactate, how to cause it to be an asset as opposed to the enemy, and how this kind of parlays into all of your training. But then there's all these other elements that come into play that are tied to the outcome that I don't want to leave off the plate. 
So it no longer becomes a, a, a book about the one thing. It becomes a book about several different things. For example, grip strength. And a lot of people don't realize that much of what's going on with your grip has to do with lactate intolerance. And when you've held on to, to something for too long, your body just basically has to let go because you're in this toxic environment. And nobody ever talks about that. They always talk about getting your grip stronger, getting your grip stronger, holding on to this and doing all these exercises to cause your grip to be stronger. But in fact, it's the acidic environment that your, that your muscles and your tendons and ligaments are, are residing in while you're in that grip that's causing the problem. And so it's a just complete departure from what typically people talk about. But that's what makes it so fascinating, right, and so relevant. Yeah, you definitely need to get that book out there. Because, <laughs> I mean, I've, I've studied a lot of grip, uh, grip training and, and whatnot, and I've just never thought about it that way, right? So that's, uh, I don't know. I don't know if I, if I had that information, if I could leave it out. So you're clearly just uh, full of good information that's super unique, and it's just hard to find a way to get it out. Yeah, uh, I will. Before I'm done, I'll, I'll get it out. I'll get it out, I promise. Probably what I'll have to do is I'll have to shut a lot of things down for a few weeks. I don't think it's going to take me longer than a few weeks to really get it to a place where I can push it off to someone to edit it and, and then just get it out. But just finding those couple of weeks is going to be tough. Yeah, just to get it all out of your head and onto the paper. Yep. Yeah, we talked about coming out your way once upon a time. Yeah, yeah, we did. <laughs> Oh, it's funny how that happens. I, it seems like that was a week ago, but it was probably a year ago. Now. No, it's been a couple of years. Oh my goodness, time flies. Yeah, I've been uh, I've been following your work for some time, and it's just um, you know uh, it's very unique. Very um, it's it seems like it's like a combination of a bunch of different writing theories and kind of picking the best out of them. Obviously, this is something that you've developed over the years, though, and. Um, yeah, I just can't see how that wouldn't help absolutely everybody. It's just a matter of uh, finding the time, like we were saying. It's like, I just feel like I have always so many balls in the air, and there's there's a lot of um, amazing people supporting uh, the stuff that I'm doing and working collaboratively with me, which is awesome. But then sometimes this, uh, this stuff definitely falls off the plate that uh, could could be a really amazing experience. So, yeah, if you ever do want to come out to Vancouver, BC, I would uh, be more than happy to have you out this way and uh, I think it would be really helpful in my own running and uh, just helpful in everybody that I work with and you know the entire group out this way yeah wanting to be there is never going to be the problem because I, I've always I, I've always wanted to go to British Columbia I've just heard so many beautiful things about British Columbia and I, I've always I know my wife would love to go there we should do it. We talked about going to Ontario. We talked about going to Montreal. We talked about going to Toronto. I got people actually trying to get me to Wichita, Kansas. They're listening to this and they're probably going to be um, harping on me for that. We're going to the East Coast in December for uh, New Jersey, then Philadelphia the following week. And, you know, it's fun for me. I, I, I got to tell you, uh, it's really a joy to be able to get out and meet these new people and spend some time with them and I get to see the fruits of the labor down the road you know when I, I start getting these messages back where people are talking to me about how their times are dropping the injuries are going away and just things are starting to really hum for them and that's very rewarding for me yeah it's no wonder you can't step away that that's you know that just being able to give people the tools um to make something that they're so passionate about easier and and faster and to be less injured is just uh it must be an incredible feeling being able to be such a huge part of that for people it is so talk to me about your off season are you going to have one? Oh my goodness i don't know so they're doing this um of course this iceland 24-hour spartan race oh boy December, which i would love to go to but it ends up being very close to world's toughest mother so i'm going to kind of see and feel it out after i do world's toughest and um if i can walk slash jog then Maybe I'll get on a plane. So, but I'm going to definitely leave that one until after last year. I um, broke my LCL at uh, World's Toughest, and it took me months to kind of get back into things. And I mean, that was an acute injury. It had nothing to do with the race or the distance or any of that stuff. It was just a misstep. But um, so that's going to depend. And then 
typically after World's Toughest, I, I take a couple months off and just do, you know, light, easy jogging and, you know, some some stuff as I like, and then I kind of get back into things, uh, you know, January kind of picking it up, and then February I get right back into training. But definitely I know in this uh, sport they uh, tend to forget that there should be an off-season. <laughs> I'm a big believer in the off-season. It just feels like the season keeps getting longer and longer each year at the same time. So, And it is really hard to step back and be like, you know, I don't need to do this thing. Um, and, uh, yeah, just to pick between races becomes challenging sometimes, and there's just so much amazing stuff that you want to be a part of out there. Iceland should be interesting. I have a client in Singapore that I'm working with right now that's that's training for it, and uh, it's coming. It's coming soon. It's not one of those things you just, kind of, you know, over the course of a cup of coffee decide you're going to do. Right, I know. It's, uh, it's just one of those things that, you know, you rightfully should have a couple of months leading into it and the three weeks from world's toughest is just probably way too tight to make it even not ridiculous but at the same time it's just going to be such a phenomenal experience it's hard to leave up so you know you don't want to get injured and, and lose your whole next season or anything like that but at the same time it's it's difficult to say no at that time of the year it's going to be dark i think for at least two-thirds of the day so I Oh, yeah, and just with the northern lights and things. I'm actually from northern Alberta, and so I grew up in the Aurora Borealis, um, you know, quite a few times during the winter and whatnot, so, and very, very long, very, very dark days. Um, so I feel like almost it would be a bit of a pilgrimage for me, right? And, <laughs> yeah, and then just the landscape is so dramatically different from anything else that, um, yeah, it'd just be, it would just be a really cool experience. And just to be part of the first one is always amazing, but... I just wish that, um, I guess they planned it based on the shortest day of the year there, but um, yeah, it would be nice if it was if it was a bigger gap between World's Toughest, because I know a lot of the community now is split between those 24-hour races being so close. Did you meet Charlie Ingle at uh, Tahoe? Me? No, I didn't even know he was there, but I have been following him for some time. Yeah, he was there. Yeah, uh, Charlie's an old friend of mine, and I think he's going to Iceland too, I just... He likes this long, crazy stuff that kind of falls into his wheelhouse. Actually, I introduced him to the idea of doing an OCR, and it's definitely not what he's accustomed to doing. But anything that's got to do with long and suffering, that seems to perk his attention. And I think he's, I think he's going to show up for that. I have to get. A, I saw some video clip of him with some staff discussing Iceland, and uh, I know he's kind of poked his head into it, but out of curiosity, I, I, it just occurred to me whether or not you had a chance to meet him at, at uh, Tahoe. Was he doing the Ultra Beast? Or yeah, I think he did. Oh, I didn't even notice him. I mean, I... That's because you were in front. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but you think I would have noticed him at some point, but I mean, I've only ever seen him on, like, whatever, the media and stuff like that. Charlie's amazing, and you you made me think of him when you talked about, you know, just all of a sudden deciding to do the long course triathlon, because his first uh, foray into ultra running was by accident. He signed up for what he thought was a 5K, and he got to the start line and come to find out it was a 50K, and he just went he went ahead and ran it anyway. <laughs> he ran it anyway, and I think he came in like fifth. That is unbelievable. He must have been, I guess they had eight stations and stuff, you know, because the 5K, you don't need to carry anything, but you think 50K, you'd have to have. He, he's a nut job. I mean, you know, you got to read his book. When he, uh, I mean, he's had a pretty storied career and had a, a lot of issues with uh, drug abuse and things like this, but he ran the uh, Big Sur Marathon and it was his first marathon and he was out getting high all night the night before, snorting cocaine, drinking, was drunk, was drunk in the morning, and uh, had a couple beers at the start line to just try to gather himself because he'd been up all night. And he actually, when he got into the, the Highlands, which is about uh, around the 18-mile mark, he stopped at a bar and had a couple beers and finished the race in 320. Yeah, he's, he's a character, but... Well, look, uh, Allison, 
I'm going to bet on you come uh, Tough Mudder. I think it's going to come down to you and Steph. I really do think it's going to come down to the, the two of you. And I think you're both going to be within close proximity leading up to that finish. And then it's going to be about, about uh, who's got the most grit. Uh-oh. <laughs> that, doesn't, that doesn't bode well for me. I would not want to be in that competition against Stephanie Bishop. But, um, yeah, it's, for sure there's a lot of um, very impressive athletes out there that have a ton of grit. And uh, it just should be uh, it should be amazing any which way to be a part of, like, that many females out there on course in such, like, a male-dominated event. Um, and something just so um, so challenging, both mentally and physically, and then just having so many women shooting for that 100, 100 miles and the depth of the field is going to be bigger than ever. So, you know, it's just a big part of that is just being a pioneer in the sport and uh, just being grateful to be a part of the, the movement and the momentum in the community. And, and if nothing else, it is going to be amazing this year. I think it is, too. I've got a couple of friends that are going to be racing solo, and uh, I don't even want to make any bets. I just... I'm pretty confident that it's going to come down to uh, Atkins Alban taking the win for the, the, the two-man thing. But the solo trip is up for grabs. I Chris Mendoza did a great job last year. I worked with Chris. Uh, good guy. And I think this is a race for him simply because he gave up. He gave up about 20 minutes at Tahoe to try to help Miguel. And I think he would have been in a much better finish place had he not had to do that. So I think the longer course even still is better for him anyway. And yeah, then he's a phenomenal uh, athlete, but more important, he's a phenomenal guy. He's he, really like bred out of the mutter community, and he he truly like believes um, that helping others is the most important thing. Yeah, yeah. Be- and Austin Azar, I think he's he's got a vendetta. He wants to reclaim his opportunity this year as opposed to what occurred to him last year. He was right there. He was right there, and he wants 100 miles too. It's a really hard game, but uh, that is also what's going to make this year so special in terms of just there being such a high level of talented and amazing athletes out there. Yeah. Regardless, I uh, look forward to having an opportunity to meet you someplace. Yeah, are you going out to World Soccer this year? Uh, you know what? I, I, I tell you what, I told everybody I wasn't going to go to World Championships at Tahoe, and then a week beforehand I made made a decision to show up. I don't know. I, I probably should be there. I just don't know that I can. I got a lot of stuff on my plate in the next couple months. So I don't know. I'm going to say no, but maybe. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Just the fact that I'm thinking about it, it's already trouble. True, but I mean, talk to Yancey, and I think he'll uh, he'll agree that even as like a spectator. Yancey, Yancey, and I have had that conversation plenty of times already. I'm sure, I'm sure he has uh, given you the rundown. Yeah, he's trying to include me in these things, and uh, he's you know how he is. He's got that cheerleader mentality, and he he just wants to pump it up, and and he gets you he gets you jazzed up, and you want to do it. But I I don't know. I I told Steph, I said I got to have purpose. If I don't have a real specific purpose for being there, then it's really hard for me to just show up. Yeah. But, well, what kind of purpose would you need? Well, uh, if I was crewing for somebody, um, then I'd have a very specific purpose. But I don't have that going on. You know, I'm, I'm just not crewing for anybody. Uh, for me. <laughs> but you're Canadian. What if you win? I'll have to move. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. There you go. Of course, uh, you're going to have to make it warmer. Yeah, well, we do live in the warmest part of Canada. Yeah. You know, it's above zero. It's not frozen here very often. We get snow like a couple times a year. We actually don't even have snow plows where I'm from. Like we have like three snow plows or something. So if it snows, nobody even goes to work. Well, we don't have snow plows where I live either. Yeah, oh yeah, you don't even have snow ever, so... It's, uh, if I look out the window right now, I'd say it's pushing on 73 degrees, and I imagine before the day's out, it'll hit 80. Jeez, yeah, I can't, can't say that about where I'm from. That's my winner. Huh. Maybe we should move there. Yeah. He's got the right idea. <laughs> exactly. Well, look, it was a pleasure having a chance to talk to you. Sean, you got any parting thoughts or statements? 
Uh, Allison, I look forward to meeting you at World Championships. I'm, I'm catching a flight later today uh, to go over there and, and, and run the 15K as well as the team race. So um, um, really, really excited about that. Um, but other than that, thanks for coming on. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. And definitely let's connect at uh, the World Championships and hang out. Oh, yeah. Yeah, best of luck there, too. I didn't want to. Yeah, I didn't want to just walk over that event, but I I know that that's certainly not quite as important to you as uh, world's toughest mutter. Yeah, no, I mean, there's only so many races. I think um, you know, even just like physically periodizing for races is important, but uh, for me, it's like the emotional kind of. It takes a lot out of you to care so much about every race. So there's just certain races on my schedule that I just have it in my head that they're just fun. And it doesn't matter if I come in first place or last place or somewhere in the middle. Um, and then there's certain races like World's Toughest that I'm like, okay, I got to like put on my A game and, and give it all I have. And you can only do that so many times in a year, right? So this weekend for me is just all about fun and enjoying it and being kind of immersed in the community and having these really awesome challenges to get through. Cool. Very cool. Yeah. Well, best of luck to you. Thanks, Richard. You're and welcome. Yeah, to see Sean or chat with you, we will see you this weekend. Absolutely. Well, friends, it's time to bring another show to a close. Be sure and tune in to us next week. We've got a lot of great content in store for you. I want you to tell your friends to check us out. You can always find us on Facebook. Simply go search the Natural Running Network. Drop us a message. I'd love to learn more about you and the things you do. And until then, you have an amazing day.